Today we are continuing our study through the book of Joshua with week five. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn with me to Joshua chapter two. And while you're finding your place, let me go ahead, set the sermon up by showing you a, a few photos. Let me go ahead and show you this photo. Can anybody take a guess who this is? That is Sarah Emily. She is a deacon here at the church. She serves on staff as pastoral assistant. And Sarah, when she was in high school, she was voted most dependable. That's absolutely still true to this day. How about this one? Anybody know who this is? <laughs> That's Trevor Knox. <laughs> And Trevor in high school, he was voted most loyal. That is absolutely true as well. How about, how about this one? Who, who is this? That stud right there is Ethan Berwick. He is an elder in process. He serves as our small groups director, valedictorian in his class, most likely to succeed. How, how about this one? Anybody know who this is? That's me. That's me in high school. Don't say life change through Jesus ain't real. And do you know what I was voted for in high school? Nothing. But my friends did get around a and they, they did take a unofficial vote and they unofficially voted me as most likely to disappear and never be seen again. And look at me today, here we go. <laughs> but how many of you in, in high school, you were, you were voted most likely for something? Okay, yes, vote, voted most likely, good for you, good for you, good for you. How many of you like me, you weren't voted for anything? All right, my people. Okay, today we're gonna see a, a story about a woman who was the, not most likely, but the least likely. Her, her name is Rahab. And her story is found in Joshua chapter two. But she's not just known as Rahab, she's more affectionately known as Rahab the prostitute. Some of your translations would say Rahab the harlot. She was the biggest sinner in the city. She was an outcast. She was rejected, dejected, abused, misused, mistreated by men. She was lonely, she was hurt, she was wounded. She experienced probably tremendous amounts of trauma in her life. And yet when it comes to the Bible, putting someone forward as an example of what it means to leave a legacy, well, the Bible chooses this woman named Rahab. When it talks about who should we set up as an example or as a moral or as a guide for what it means to live a life that matters, to live a life of purpose, to live a life of redemption, the Bible presents this woman as the example for us. And so today, instead of talking about the most likely, the sermon title is gonna be Highly Unlikely. Her story is highly unlikely, but the good news is there is no one like our God. And we're gonna watch God work wonders in the life of Rahab, and we're gonna learn some lessons on how we can apply it to our lives as well. So we're gonna read all of Joshua chapter two. We got a lot of Bible. How many of you love the Bible? Okay, good, because I'm gonna be reading an entire chapter up front, and then I wanna give you four takeaways that we can learn from this text, from the life of Rahab. Chapter two, starting in verse one, and Joshua, the son of Nun, sent two men secretly from Shittim. Now you gotta say it very carefully. 
He's from Shittim. Now don't send me an email, the pastor said a naughty word. No, I'm just reading the Bible. It's, it's Shittim, long I, from Shittim. Joshua sent two men secretly from Shittim as spies. Dun, 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 dun. Go view the land, especially Jericho. And they went and they came into the house of a prostitute whose name was Rahab and they lodged there. And it was told to the king of Jericho, behold, the men of Israel have come here tonight to search out the land. Their cover is blown. Someone's spotting them sneaking into the city and then going to Rahab's house. Verse three, then the king of Jericho sent to Rahab saying, bring out the men who have come to you, who have entered into your house for they have come to search out the land. But the woman had taken the two men and she hid them. And she said, true. These men did come to me, but I do not know where they were from. That is a lie. She's, she's lying. And when the gate was about to be closed at dark, the men, they went out. And I do not know where the men went. Pursue after them quickly and you will overtake them. But she secretly had brought them up to the roof and she hid them under the stalks of flax that she laid in order on top of the roof. So the men, which way did he go, George? They went that way, pursued after them on their way into the Jordan as far as the fords and they lay down and she come up to them on the roof. And here's what she said. She said to the men, I know that the Lord has given you the land. This is what we have read over and over in Joshua chapter one. We've seen it multiple times where God's saying, I am giving you the land. I have given you the land. The land is yours. Arise and go. Inherit this promised land. Take hold of this promise that I have given to you. Just as I have sworn to your forefathers, now I am giving this to you. And that was in Joshua chapter one, as God is speaking to the heart of Joshua, as he is building courage in the hearts of the nation. Now, as they cross the river, in Jericho, Joshua chapter two, Rahab also knows that God has given them this land and Rahab, she is gonna respond with great faith. Here's what she says. Not only is God giving the land, but fear of you has fallen upon us and that all the inhabitants of the land, they melt away before you. For we have heard how the Lord your God has dried up the water of the Red Sea before you came out of Egypt. And when you did the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan, Sion and Og, you have devoted to destruction. That would make an amazing metal band name, devoted to destruction. That's just the way your pastor reads the Bible, picking up 11. And as soon as we heard it, our hearts melted, emo band name. And there was no spirit left in us or any man because of you for the Lord, your God, he is God in the heavens above and on the earth beneath. Do you, do you see what's happening here in the story? What we're watching is we're watching the conversion of Rahab take place. That it starts off with Rahab being a prostitute up on the wall, and then she takes these spies in and she responds in great faith to, to, to the message that they are bringing. And it starts with this. It starts with her hearing and then it moves to her believing. Look what it says. I have heard about the wonderful things that your God has done. I heard about the Red Sea. I heard about the battles. I heard about the destruction and the devastation of these cities. She had heard about it. And then she says this word right here, I know. 
See, this is what Romans tells us, that, that faith comes by hearing, and hearing is the word of God. And if anybody would, would admit and believe and confess with their mouths, they will be saved. We are watching this progression of Rahab's life transforming right before our very eyes. A, a, a prostitute who is the lowest of the low, rejected, dejected. Now she is being accepted into the family of God based by her beliefs. This is why we say here at Redemption every single week, it doesn't matter who you are, where you're at, what you have done, that God can save you, God can love you, God can forgive you, and God can give you a new life. This is why the vision statement of redemption is that every man, woman, and child would experience life change through Jesus. And for us, that word every is incredibly important because contained in that word every is people like Rahab. Overlooked, unloved, unvalued, wounded, hurt, rejected, tossed away, thrown away, but accepted by God. But I'm preaching already. I'm gonna get back to the Bible. Okay, here we go. Verse 12, now then, Please swear to me. So now she's asking the spies to do something for her, that the Lord, as I have dealt kindly with you, will also deal kind with me to my father's house and give me a sure sign that you will save alive my father, my mother, my brothers and sisters, every man, woman, and child, and all who belong to them and deliver our lives from death. And the men said to her, our life for yours, even to death. And the man said, our life for yours. What is that? That's a deal. As long as you do not tell this business of ours, when the Lord gives us this land, we will deal kindly and faithful with you. Then she let them down by the rope of the window for her house was built into the city wall so that she lived in the wall. I just wanna pause for a moment. As I was doing study this week, I was always wondering like, Rahab's business must've been pretty good. She's got a rooftop terrace over here. (laughs) She's like on the roof of this wall. Right, if you were living in a big city, that's where you would wanna stay, the penthouse suite, right? But what I, what I discovered is this, is that because Jericho is a garrison city, that means it's a fortified city, that would be the first city that is attacked. And in, a, in the ancient days, whenever they would attack, they would shoot arrows or they would um, pillage and they would push down the walls. Her house would be the first one to be struck. And so she's living in poverty, she's living in slums, she's living in abject poverty and danger and threat. And yet she still responds by taking in the spies. And here's what we see. They lay down a rope through the window from her house was built on the city wall so that she lived on the wall. And she said to them, go into the hills and pursue will encounter and hide there for three days until the pursuers have returned. Then afterward, you may go your way. Then the men said to her, we will be guiltless with this respect of this oath of yours that you have made to us. Behold, when we come into the land, you shall tie this scarlet cord. That's very important. Circle it, underline it, highlight it. We're gonna come back to that. Take this scarlet cord and tie it in the window from which you will let us down. And you shall gather into your house, your father, mother, your brothers, and all of your father's household. Then if anyone goes out of the doors of your house into the street, then his blood will be on his own head and we will be guiltless. But if a hand is laid on anyone who is in this house, his blood will be on our head. But if you tell this business of ours, then we shall be guiltless with respect to your oath that you have made us swear. And she said, according to your words, so be it. 
Then she sent them away and they departed and she tied the scarlet cord into the window. They departed and went into the hills and they remained there for three days until the pursuers returned. And the pursuers searched all along the way, but they found nothing. Then the two men returned. They came down from the hills. They passed over and came to Joshua, the son of Nun. And they told him all that had happened to them. And Joshua said, truly the Lord has given all of the land to us because they have melted away because of us. So here we are in Joshua chapter two. Joshua chapter one, God is just speaking to the leader. He's speaking to Joshua, be strong and courageous. From Deuteronomy 31 in the introduction, Joshua one, six times God speaks to him. Joshua, I need you to be strong and courageous because I have something that I want you to do. Arise and go. In Joshua one, he says, I want you to go over the river Jordan and into Jericho. And so this word strength and courage has gotten into the heart of Joshua. And now he is living out the very word of God for his life. He is walking towards his purpose, God's promise. He's doing so with strength and courage. But Joshua also learns from his past. Just look what he does. He sends two spies. If you remember back in the, the book of Numbers, what happens is that Joshua's been here before. He's done this before. Last time Moses sent out, sent out 12 spies. And upon that, 10 came back with a bad report. Two, Joshua and Caleb come back with a good report. The negative, they said, we can't do it. We're gonna fail. It's never gonna work. There's giants in the land. We look like grasshoppers. And then two, Joshua and Caleb, they say, if God be for us, who can be against us? God said it, I believe it, we're gonna take this land. But the unbelief had already settled in the hearts of the people. And so for an entire generation, 40 years, they wandered in the wilderness until eventually it's time for Joshua to go in. And so what he did is this, he's like, I learned the last time. Last time I sent out 12 spies. This time I'm only gonna send out two spies. And these two spies, Instead of finding fear of the people, they find a person named Rahab. Instead of just seeing the giants, what they do is they found a person who is hurting and broken and in need. And what I find so fascinating about this is that these two men, while yes, they were on a reconnaissance, they were spies at the same time, they were loving and gracious and, and kind. Yeah. And, and something that reminds me of this situation is, Jesus in John chapter four, if you're familiar with the story of the, the Samaritan, the Samaritan woman at the well, as Jesus is with his disciples, he goes and says, we must go to Samaria. And everybody's like, why are we going to Samaria? If you know anything, the Samaritans, they are the enemies of the Jewish people, that they worship false gods. They don't have relationship with the true God. They're enemies to the Jewish people. And yet Jesus says, I must go to Samaria. Why? Because he had a divine appointment with a woman at a well. And Jesus goes and he talks to her. And he says, okay, I understand. You've been married, you're divorced. Now you're living with somebody who is not your husband. I perceive that you are a prophet, I am. And then he tells us we worship in spirit and in truth. And that woman goes and becomes a missionary in the entire city of Samaria. Here's the good news of the gospel. That's the same story that we're reading here in Joshua chapter two. These Jewish spies, they were good old boys. I mean, they, they were pursuing after holiness. They saw what happened when you worship false gods. Read the book of Exodus. It doesn't go well for the nation. 
They saw what happens when you live in rebellion. They would be priding themselves on being seen as ceremonial clean, as being welcomed. They would have taken extra precautions in order to not to not mix with things that were wicked or evil. These good Jewish boys, they also find themselves in a prostitute's house. So they worship the God of the Bible. Rahab worships false gods. All right, listen, the word Rahab is a compound word of Ra. Ra is the Egyptian sun god, the same Egyptians that had persecuted them, kept them in slavery for 400 years is her very own namesake. They would have known you don't tangle or mess with people like this. And yet that's exactly what they do. She was unclean. She was unwelcomed. She was unworthy. She would have been deemed beyond any sort of hope. And yet what we see is this, they still engage with her. And the lesson that we can learn from Jesus and the lesson that we can learn from Joshua, and here's the lesson that we learn from the story of Rahab is this, is that people matter to God. See, God doesn't just see people for who they are. God sees them for who he's created them to be. God doesn't just see people for where they are at. He sees people for where they can be when they trust and believe in him. God doesn't see people the way that we see people. God knows them. God sees them. God loves them. God cares for them. And because people matter to God, people matter to us. This is the message that we can learn from this is that people matter to God. The Bible says that God looks on the inside, but we look on the outside. God sees what's inside of a person. You may not see it, but God sees it. God knows the destiny that is placed in every single person. God knows the promise and the purpose and the plans that he has for every single person. And because of that, we need to treat people with dignity and value and respect because we don't know what they go through, but we know that our God can change and transform any person's life. And so therefore, people matter to God and people matter to us. Commentators will use this and there's so many different ways we could take this sermon. But one thing that's very interesting is that contained within the story of Rahab, they would say is contained the story of the church. Outsiders being welcomed in. Gentiles being accepted by God. So my question is, what kind of church do we wanna be? See, so far in this sermon series, it's all been casting vision to getting a new building, not just a building, we're gonna buy this entire city block and we're gonna renovate this building and we're gonna move in, we're gonna have a kids ministry that is just going to be so welcoming, safe and fun. Your kids won't wanna go home every Sunday. You're gonna be dragging them out that lobby door and they're screaming, mommy, I wanna go to church. We're gonna have that. We're gonna have 500 seats in that sanctuary. We're gonna have 30 foot ceilings. We have 500 parking spaces out there. And I believe that by God's grace, when we buy this new building, it's gonna move us into the legacy that he has for us. But if we don't know how to treat people, it don't matter. My, my heart is this, is that we would never be so focused on a building that we overlook people. Because yes. the moment we do that, we stop being the church. Amen. The moment when we get so focused on programs that we no longer pay attention to people is the day we stop being the church. My hope, my heart, my goal, and my prayer is that people matter the most because people matter to God. Therefore, they should matter to us. 
The moment that as a congregation and members, I'm speaking to you right now, the moment that we get more focused on programs than people, shut this thing down, board up the windows, lock the door, burn it down, because we ain't a church no more. Our hope, our heart, our prayer should be loving people because people matter to God. Every single one of us, there's Rahabs in our lives, people that we overlook, people that we neglect, people that we talk about, people that we roll up our windows when we pull up next to them at a stop sign. Everywhere, everyone, every person has a Rahab, but here's the deal, you've also been a Rahab as well. We were all separated from God. We were all lost. And yet, the Lord Jesus, he welcomed us into his family, transformed and changed our lives. People matter to God. Therefore, people should matter to us. So let me give you four takeaways from this text. The the first takeaway we see is this. As As a church, we need to see the mission of God. Did you know that our God is a missionary? Like from eternity past, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And God the Father sends God the Son. He created everything in this world. It was right and is good. But due to sin, we have fallen and separated ourselves from God. And God says, I love these people so much. He speaks to the Son, go get them. And that's why Jesus says this. Jesus says, the Father has sent me. That word sent in the Greek is missio, which means to be mission. And so Jesus comes on a mission to seek and to save that which is lost. The whole purpose of Jesus coming was to seek, to save, to find and bring life and life abundantly. And for 33 years, Jesus lived on mission during his ministry. And then upon his death, burial, resurrection, he ascends to the right hand of the Father. And guess what he says? I am going to send you the Holy Spirit. So the Father sends the Son, the Son sends the Holy Spirit. And as we are filled with the Spirit, we are saved, we are sealed, we are filled, we are empowered, and then we are sent out on mission to continue the mission of Jesus here in this world. What's fascinating is that Joshua 1 and 2 is very similar to Matthew 28 and Acts chapter 1. If you think back, in Joshua 1, what what does God say? Arise and go. What does Jesus speak? Go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and of the Holy Spirit. So God speaks to Joshua, arise and go. Then Jesus says, basically the same thing, arise and go. And then in Joshua 1, it says, I will never leave you, nor will I forsake you, but I will always be with you. The end of the great commission is that I will be with you always, even until the end of the age. Joshua chapter 1 is the great commission of the Old Testament. And Acts chapter 1 opens up where he says, I will give you power so that way you will be my witnesses to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And then Joshua chapter 2, strong and courageous. He's received power. And where does he go? He is a missionary to the other nations. Do you see the the correlation between here? It's called the the Great Commission. And if you're new to redemption, this is going to be a new statement for you. But if you've been around redemption for any time longer than six months, I'm going to repeat this because if you're getting tired of hearing it, it means you're just now starting to understand it. A great commitment to the Great Commission is what makes us a great Christian. 
A great commitment to the Great Commission is what makes you into a great Christian. Now, tragically, some people don't see it as a great commission. They might see it as a great suggestion. Maybe if you feel like it, this would be the best course of action for your life, but it's just a suggestion. Some people, they, they don't see it as a commission. They see it as an option. Maybe if you can squeeze it into your schedule, maybe if you can just find the time, some people, they see it as a suggestion. Some people see it as an option. Some people just see it as an omission in life altogether. Like, that's just not my personality. I'm an introvert. Right? I'm an INFP. I'm the rarest personality type on the Myers-Briggs. And so that allows me to not engage in the mission of God. Right? No. Every single person is to be living on mission because this is the God that we serve. A great commitment to the Great Commission is what makes you into a great Christian. Every single one of us know and loves Jesus and every single one of us know and loves someone who does not yet know and love Jesus, which means that you have influence in their life so you can go to them, you can reach them, you can love them, you can bless them, you can serve them, and you can be the conduit towards their own salvation as well. A great commitment to this great commission. There's a lot of different ways in which people read the Bible. Some people read the Bible like it's a, a love story. So they'll say, oh, God loves us. It's a love story. Absolutely. That Jesus loves us in the same way a husband loves his wife. It is a love story of God reconciling his people back into relationship. Some people, they read it as a rags to riches story. They'll say, we are seated in the heavenly places with Christ. We have been exalted with Christ. It is a rags to riches story. There is a mansion in heaven with my name on it. That's true. Some people read it like an overcoming the monster story, which it absolutely is. That there is a real Satan and Jesus is gonna come back one day riding on a white horse with fire in his eyes and a sword in his hand and he's gonna slit the throat of that dragon and he is gonna cast him into the lake of fire and our king is gonna rule and reign victorious. It's the defeating the monster. That's true too. But one way people often forget to read the Bible is that it's a spy novel. This is why Jesus says, I have come to set the captives free. That every single person is bound in sin, taken hostage by the enemy. They are behind enemy lines. They are prisoners of war. And just like Jack Reacher or the hunt for Red October or James Bond, Jesus comes and he goes behind enemy lines in disguise. God, very God, taking on the form of man, living his life just like us every single way. And he knows and he is comforted and he is, he is not unfamiliar with grief and he lives lives with us in obscurity and after 33 years, he comes, dies on that cross and he sets those captives free. It's a spy novel too. That's what we read in Joshua chapter two. He sends the spies. And the same way that Joshua sends the spies is the same way our King Jesus is now sending you. A great commitment to this great commission is what makes a great Christian. You are on mission with God. The, the, the second thing that I want us to see is this, is the meaning of faith. One of the most popular verses in all the Bible is Hebrews chapter 11. It's what's known as the hall of faith. It's got some of the most iconic Sunday school characters. 
I mean, we read into there, I mean, we see people like Abel who made a faith sacrifice and offering that was accepted to God. We see people like Abraham and Sarah who walked with God and through faith, they had a child at 99 years of age. You know, that's gotta take a lot of faith, amen? And we see people like Noah and we see people like, like Samuel and we see people like David and we see people like Moses. And right there in the middle of the hall of faith, there is a prostitute. All of these people are like, I wanna be like them. And then all of a sudden, Rahab shows up and you're like, what do I do with this? And here's, here's the reason why, why Rahab was included in that hall of faith is because she understood what the true meaning of faith really was. She understood the, the, the message of faith, the meaning of faith. Here's, here's what it says, I'll read it. In, in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 31, by faith, Rahab the prostitute, she did not perish with those who were disobedient because she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. In the hall of faith, there is a prostitute because she understood what faith truly means. You know, in our day, we have condensed faith down to an idea. We've condensed faith down to simply what you know. We've condensed faith down to just a set of facts. We've condensed faith down to maybe even just a decision that you made when you were 10 years old. We say, well, I have faith. I bet you nine out of 10 people that you ask, if you were to go walk around Parkdale Mall, like, hey, are you a Christian? Nine out of 10 people would say, yeah, absolutely. Well, how do you know that you're a Christian? Well, because when I was a kid, I was raised in the church and you know, I own a Bible somewhere in my house and you know, my grandparents were Christians and you know, I used to go to church and maybe I go on Christmas and Easter and they would say, yes, I am a Christian because I have faith. But if you were to follow that person around, let's say 24 hours, let me ask you, do you think that faith would be made evident? Do you think that faith would really be on display? See, we've condensed faith down to just head knowledge. We've convinced faith down to just something that you profess. But faith is not just what you profess, faith is also what you practice. It's not just what you know, but it's also the way that you live your life. Rahab, she knew who God was, and then it was evident by her actions. If you're taking notes, write this down. Faith is belief in action. You gotta put your faith to work. Faith is belief that has also been acted upon. See, listen, I love my wife, Ashley. After 15 years, I hope I know her better than anybody else in this room. And I know so much about her life. I know what her favorite food is. I know what her favorite restaurants are. I know what her favorite ice cream is. I know what her favorite flowers are. And I know all of the buttons to press when I wanna make her mad. I know all of those things. But let's say I never do those things for her. Let's say whenever I'm out buying groceries, I don't pick up her favorite foods or I don't pick up the, 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 the organic diet that she's currently on. I come back with nothing but things that I want. Chicken wings and pizza and Whataburger jalapeno ranch. And she's like, I can't eat any of this stuff. What if I never take her on a date? What if I never tell her I love her and all I do is just press all the buttons in her life? What, what would happen? You would come to the conclusion that I probably didn't love this girl. Amen. It's the same way when it comes to our faith. When it comes to love, we have a, a saying that love is not just what you say, love is also what you do. 
It's the same thing when it comes down to our faith. That faith isn't just what you say, it's also what you do. Don't just tell me you have faith, show me you have faith because faith is belief in action. What would have happened if Rahab would have said, I know that your God is the God of the Bible, but I am not going to rescue you. I am not gonna drop this cord down the window. I'm not gonna bring you to my roof. I am not gonna do all those things. She would have perished just along with everybody else. Because faith is not just what you say. Faith is how you live your life. Faith is belief in action. So here's what I wanna do. Because there is this confusion around the subject of faith, let me go ahead and give you seven ways Rahab demonstrates real faith. The, the, The first thing is this, is that real faith requires risk. I love what Pastor Erwin McManus says from Mosaic Church. He says, another way to spell faith is R-I-S-K. It's gonna take risk. It's gonna have you to step out of your comfort zones and do something that you normally wouldn't do. There is going to be a risk involved. Rahab here, she is risking her life because faith takes risk. If you're always just standing on the sidelines and you never get in the game, you're never gonna be able to experience the faith that God has for you. Faith requires risk. Number two, faith is not perfect. Rahab lied. That's a weird way to show your faith. But yet, even though her faith was not perfect, her faith wasn't a perfect God. And there may be times and seasons where you're feeling like, I'm gonna fail, I'm not gonna get this right. That's okay. As long as you put your faith in a perfect God and not in your own schemes and understandings of yourself. Lean not unto your own understanding, but in all your ways. And Rahab did the best that she could. In all of her ways, she acknowledged the Lord. And because of that, she was a woman of faith. Faith is not perfect, but it does place its faith in a perfect God. The third thing we see is this, is that faith, faith requires trust. She had to trust and believe that these men weren't gonna treat her like all the other men have treated her. She had to believe, okay, I have been abused, I have been raped, I have been beaten, I have been taken advantage of, and now these men come to me? Are they gonna do the same thing to me? Do you imagine the anxiety and the fear that might be inside of her? And yet still, she put her trust because that was an act of her faith. And here's what we see is this. The men said, I'm gonna go and we're gonna come back for you. She had to trust that they were gonna keep their word to him. But this is the same thing that we see when it comes to following after Jesus. We have to trust and believe that he will be good to us, that he will love us, that he is safe for us, that he wants the best for us, and that one day he's coming back for us too. It's all about this trust. Also, faith grows over time. What we see is this, is it starts off with just a little bit of faith. I have heard. And then it moves to, well, now I know. And her faith grows when she acts upon that faith and then she is delivered and she is saved. There is a progression that is taking place over the course of the chapter. You are watching her moment by moment use the little faith she has and as she uses it, it grows and then it grows again and then it grows again until by the end of the chapter, she is delivered. Faith grows over time. I said, I I meet people, they're like, I just wish that I could have faith. You know how you get more faith? You use the faith you already have. My favorite Bible verse is Mark 4, 24. With the measure you use, it will be measured unto you. The one who has, more will be given. The one who has not, even what they have will be taken away from them. And so if you use your faith, God will give you more faith. But if you don't use your faith, eventually it will shrivel up and die and you'll be left with nothing. 
She has to walk out and she has to live by and she has to step out with the little faith that she has. If you wanna grow in your faith, just use the faith that you got. And the more you use it, the more faith God is gonna give to you, the more answers to prayers you're gonna see, the more people you're gonna see saved, the more miracles you're gonna see in your life, the more provision you're gonna see in your life, the deeper your trust is gonna grow with God if you just use the faith that you have. I was talking with somebody and they were sharing a story about their friend who really wants to become a Christian, but they're just not there. And they're just like, I don't have the faith. Well, if you want to, the want to's there. So why don't you take the step and I believe that God will meet you in that place. Just use the little bit of faith that you have. When we see the man with the demonic boy of the epilepsy in the book of Mark, what does it say? I believe, but help my unbelief. And it was that prayer of faith that saw his son be healed. Faith grows over time. The next thing we see is that faith, faith obeys. She knew the right thing to do and she acted upon that. Faith is belief in action. And another thing we see is that faith is patient. It took her 24 verses to see her deliverance come. She started off in faith, will you rescue me and my, my family? And they said, yes. And not only did it take 24 verses, but it also took her three entire days. She had to be patient with that. God said it, I believe it. I'm not gonna freak out because I trust and believe in him. And even if it takes me 24 verses, even if it takes me three days, even if it takes me 30 years, I'm gonna be patient because I believe that God has good for me. I believe it, I trust it, and she is acting upon the faith that she has. And she's being patient. I mean, she's not like, save me now, let's jump through this window. That's not what she did. She said, I'll wait on you because I believe. And she operated in faith. And the, the next thing is we see is this, is that faith takes work. Faith requires work. Like there's some things that you're gonna have to do if you wanna live by faith. You can't just be like, God, I'm just gonna sit back here and you know, trust that all things are according to your will. No, no, there's some things that you're gonna have to do in your life as well. Faith requires work. Right now, some of your brains are exploding. You're like, I thought we were saved by grace through faith, not by works. Byron, it sounds to me like you're getting dangerously close to teaching a works-based theology. It sounds very close. I thought like I just bowed my head, prayed a prayer, and I just get to do whatever I want for the rest of my life. That, that's actually not, not true. You're like, but it sounds to me like you're getting dangerously close to a works-based theology. You say that there's some things that I have to do? Yes. So I got a verse. James chapter two. You see that a person is justified, that word saved, imputed, justified. The judge drops the gavel, not guilty, why? By their works and not by faith alone. And the same way was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by her works when she received the messengers sent out by them another way. For the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. Don't just tell me you have faith. Show me your faith. 
Don't just say, I know. Say, I am living it out in my life. Don't just give me some facts. I can tell you the intertestamental period between Malachi and the book of Matthew. I understand what, what, what penal substitutionary atonement means. I can give you the 12 different reasons that the cross was applied. I can explain to you all the pneumatical hermeneutics that are taking place in the Old Testament. I don't care how much you know if I don't see it in your life. Faith requires work. And if you want your faith to work, here's what you do. You put your faith to work. Start loving people. Start blessing people. Start tithing. Start going out of your way. Listen to other people's stories. Start living by holiness and godliness in your life. And watch your faith continue to grow. By faith, Rahab was justified because she hid the spies. As a church, we got things to do. We got people to love. We got money to give. We got missionaries to send. We got people to baptize. Come on. It's not time for us to sit on the sidelines. It's time for us to get up, get in the game, and start loving some people because people matter to us because they matter to God. Live out your faith. Faith is belief in action. My, my challenge for every single one of us today is to do this. Every single day this week, do one thing that requires faith and watch what God does in your life. The, the third thing we'll see is this, is the message of grace. We see grace is applied. How many people in Jericho were saved? One. An entire city. And it was only Rahab's family that was saved. Now, when people hear this, especially in our day and age, people get upset with God about that. Say, God, I don't think that's fair. I don't think that's right. I don't think that's just. How could God destroy an entire city? That's not fair. It's the same people who criticize others because they wouldn't make the same rational decisions that they would. But this is God. And you're judging and criticizing the Lord on this. They say, God, I just don't think it's right. I don't think it's fair. But let me ask you this. How many people could have been saved? All of them, because they had all heard. They had all heard, but only Rahab knew. And only Rahab acted on that faith. Every single one of them heard, but only Rahab believed. Listen, what's amazing about grace, you know that song, Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me? Right, what's amazing to me about grace is not that God will save everyone because he won't. If you're taking notes, write this down. God won't save everyone, but God will save anyone. He didn't save the king. He didn't save the lawyers. He didn't save the rich. He didn't save the army. He didn't save everyone, but he did save a prostitute. He did save the outcast. He did save the lowly. It's not amazing to me that God would save everyone. What's fascinating to me is that God in his love, he will save anyone, no matter who you are, no matter where you're at, no matter what you have done, you are not beyond the saving grace of our good God, that he will love you where you're at. He will meet you in that moment. He will meet you in that place. Come just as you are. Rahab doesn't clean herself up. Rahab, she doesn't go down and pass the ceremonial cleansings. She goes to God just as she is, and God meets her in that moment, and he changes her life forever. The amazing grace isn't that God will save everyone, because that that's not grace. What's amazing about grace is that God will save anyone. And how is Rahab saved? She is saved by the precious blood of Jesus. 
You say, but Byron, this is 4,000 years before Jesus come. We're in the fifth book of the Bible and Jesus hadn't even walked the earth yet. How is she saved by the blood of Jesus? Great question, my theologian friend. I am so glad you asked it. In the Old Testament, there's something known as a type. It's a concealed gospel story in the Old Testament. And we see that Rahab, she was saved by, verse 18, a scarlet cord. What do you think that scarlet cord symbolizes? The blood of Jesus. See, the spies, they would have known this from the Exodus as the death angel were coming and God was gonna deliver anybody who takes this blood and runs it over the doorpost, their lives will be saved. So as they're with Rahab, she doesn't have a sacrifice. She doesn't have a lamb. She doesn't have anything, but all she has is this little scarlet cord. And they say, if you throw that cord through the window, your life will be spared. And in faith, by grace, she drops the cord out the window. And as they're marching around Jericho, they just say, that's, that's Rahab's house. And they would see the scarlet cord, that's Rahab's house. And they would see the scarlet cord, that's Rahab's house. And when the walls fall, Rahab's life is spared. She is saved by the precious blood of Jesus. This is why they say in Joshua, your life for mine. What is that? That's the substitutionary death of Christ in our place. How long did the spies hide out in the hills? Three days. Death, burial, resurrection of Jesus that delivered and saved. This is the message of grace. Rahab couldn't save herself. And so she needed someone to come and save her. You can't save yourself. And so Jesus comes, he rescues, he heals, he redeems, and he gives us a new life with him both now and forever. And it's only through the cross, it's only through the blood of Jesus, it's only through his substitutionary death in our place by that scarlet cord. That is the meaning of God's grace for our lives. Which leads to the fourth and the final point. We'll call the band up and here's where we close at. It's what's known as the miracle of the gospel. See, what's so fascinating about this is, to me, that God would meet her where she is at. And right now you may be here and you identify with Rahab. You say, I don't know what I've been through. You don't know what I've gone through. You don't know where I'm at. You don't know what happened this week. You don't know what other people said to me. You don't know what other people have done to me. I don't know your story but here's what I do know. I do know Rahab's story. And I know who my God is. And I know how my God works. And I know how my God operates. And here's what I do know is that God loved Rahab just where she was at, but he loved her too much to leave her there. That he will meet you, he will love you, he will save you, and then he will change you. The story of Rahab is the story of all of us that it's impossible to meet Jesus and stay the same. Yeah. Rahab is now an ex-prostitute. She's not who she was. Amen. God has given her a new life, a new destiny, a new identity, and he has given her a brand new legacy. I've already read you several different places that Rahab's name was mentioned, but there's one other place that her name is mentioned, and it is in the genealogical record of the Lord Jesus in Matthew chapter one. Here's what it says. And Salmon, the father of Boaz, by Rahab. Father of Obed and by Ruth. Obed became the father of Jesse and Jesse became the father of David, the king. The least likely person. 
became the great, 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 great grandmother of the Lord Jesus Christ. It says in Joshua chapter six, when the walls fell, they brought her into the camp. An outsider now becomes the insider. The enemy now becomes the friend. The unwelcomed is now welcomed and loved. And in staff meeting the other day, one of our staff members asked this question. I wonder what it was like for the spies to see Rahab during the week, maybe like five years later. And I thought, well, that's an interesting question. So I went home and I looked it up and outside the Bible, according to Jewish tradition, one of those two spies, his name was Salmon. In Matthew chapter one, it says Salmon and Rahab. That spy married Rahab. He said, I'll love you. Who would love someone like Rahab? Our God does. And he loves us too much to leave us where we're at. He wants to change who we are so that way we can leave a legacy of faith behind us. It's impossible to meet Jesus and stay the same. And so if you're here today and you feel like a Rahab, I want you to know you're welcome. And he loves you where you're at. He'll bring you into his family, the church, and he will change your future. You might be the least likely person and that's okay because there's no one like our God.